It was a, uh, I hope that story was both inspiring and challenging to you, and I'll have more to say about that video uh, in a moment. But I do want to say right now that that story is a wonderful picture of why we have all our fellowship ministries here. Not just to provide a place for people to go and to have a good time or to do something kind of spiritual together, but for stories like that to happen, a story of real life change. And if you're in a small group at Bethel here, we want the stories like that to be, be the norm around here. We want them to be commonplace. And so thank you, Tony and Megan and Ray and Megan, for sharing your story with us. It is an inspiring challenge for sure. And thank you, Dexter, for opening God's Word with us and sharing uh, your heart. You certainly have a gifted presence in the pulpit, and uh, we are all desirous and excited to see the, your ministry fruitfulness continue to grow. And uh, I think Dexter's message here successfully unpacked perhaps what is about half of what Christian fellowship is. The Christian fellowship involves forming deep connections with others, connections that should result in an authentic, joyous friendship as, and a mutual delighting in one another, and also uh, loving actions towards one another as we serve and we care for each other. And we all have a personal interest in this, right? And we all want to have deep connections with others. And fellowship is, is how that happens here in the church body. But there, there is another result of Christian fellowship that I kind of want to drill into now. And to do so, I need to mention again something we've talked about here before, which is the one another's of Scripture. And when you sit down and read the New Testament, it doesn't take very long for you to come across a, a regular stream of one another commands. Here's a list of many of them up on the screen. Here you can see we have commands like be at peace with one another, be joined to one another, rejoice with one another, live in harmony, serve one another, be kind to one another, pray for one another, love one another. It goes on. These are all things that we are to do with one another. They are instructions to the Christian church community. And in every context, it's important to know that these are commands. These are not the one another suggestions. They're not the one another ideas or options. They are the one another expectations. They're the one another commands, and it is not optional for the church community to do these things. It is, it ex, it is expected and commanded that the church will just be about these things, both in a corporate sense, so that these things are the defining characteristics of our church culture, but also in an individual sense, that you and I are doing each of these things. And in doing so, we don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to say, well, you know, I really like these first 10 here, so I'm going to do those and leave those other 20 to somebody else. We don't kind of say, you know, I, I'm really just, I, I'm, not a, I'm not very good at number maybe 14 or 17 on that list. So I got to skip those because I'm not good at it. You know what? That last one really makes me uncomfortable. I think I'm going to avoid that because that just makes me uncomfortable. Now, these are all commands. You don't get to pick and choose which kind of commands in God's word you get to follow. And I think it would be a good exercise and probably a very convicting one for us to go through this list one by one and say, how am I doing in that? How am I doing there? When was the last time I did that? It's been a, I seem to be intentionally avoiding that one. When you look at these commands, I think it's interesting to see that you could kind of broadly group them into two broad main categories. So if you've considered the first two-thirds of this list, we see here that all these verses, they kind of fall under the aspect of fellowship that Dexter described. The aspect of fellowship that produces deep connections between people as they care for one another and serve each other and show hospitality and are kind to one another and pray for one another and love one another. And we typically crave these one another's, don't we? I mean, we're all, we're all happy when people show us love, right? I mean, who here is good at receiving love? 
We all, we all like that when the church body rallies around us and, and shows us kindness and support. Like if, if one of you some, suddenly decided to show up on my doorstep with a couple T-bone steaks and a, maybe a banana cream pie. Listen, I got no problem with that. Yeah, that gives you a joy to do that and bless me. Hey, more power to you. I'm not going to stand in your way. See, we, we get these parts of the, of the one and other commands. We expect them. We want them. But notice the last few commands on this list. Instruct one another. Submit to one another. Teach, admonish one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Spur one another on. Confess your sins to one another. These are a bit harder. And there's something a little different going on here. When the first set of, of, of expressions are really those of mutual friendship and loving care, these seem to be expressions that are a bit more intentional, a bit more focused, and focused on one particular thing, really, focused on growing, producing growth in one another. And it's these commands that I want to focus on now, really for the second half of our teaching time today. And, and from these, we'll see that true fellowship, yes, it produces friendship. Yes, it produces mutual care. Yes, it produces and cultivates a sense of belonging and and connection. But it also should produce deep, life-changing discipleship. Fellowship produces deep, life-changing discipleship. Now, what what do I mean by discipleship? Remember the, the, the stated purpose of Bethel Church. Our guiding ministry documents say that really what is our church about? Here's a way to summarize it. The purpose of Bethel Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ whose lives are all about Him. So our fundamental goal here is to produce disciples. This is also reflected in our mission them vision, which says Bethel's vision is to multiply disciples through multiple sites and multiple partnerships. So we're all about discipleship here. We're all about making discipleship happen around here. It's the core of everything that we do. But, but what is discipleship really? If you're a disciple, what does that mean? Well, it, it means first that you're following somebody. More so that you're trying to be like that person that you're following. You're trying to imitate and become like them. So suppose, for example, it's kind of like a master-apprentice relationship. And suppose for a moment that, you know, you had a particular craft or a trade that you wanted to get really good at. Say it was making pottery. How would you pursue that? How would you become a good pottery-making person? Uh, You'd probably find, ideally, a master of that craft. And you'd spend time with them. And you'd watch them and observe them and learn their techniques and see how they worked with that clay to make it into just a beautiful vessel. And then you would try to imitate them and learn from them. And you would sit under them and study them. And you hope that that person then would, would take you on as their disciple and under their wing and pour into you. As you follow them and try to imitate their example. And Christian, who are you following? It's Christ. And so being Christ's Disciple means that he's your master, you sit under him, and as you grow and mature in your faith, what that means is becoming more like him, imitating his example, becoming increasingly more like Jesus and his character, and so that our affections are more like him, our priorities are more like him, our ways of interacting, our heart is more like his, our lifestyle more fully reflects Jesus' values and integrity. And that's discipleship. Becoming more like our master, who is Christ. But, but how does that happen just practically here in the church? I mean, what things does God bring to bear upon our lives to grow us in these ways? Well, corporate church events and services are, are some. Like listening to sermons and participating in worship together, conferences, retreats, things like that. And personal efforts are, are others. 
You're just spending time just on your own reading the Bible or cultivating a, a, a deep, committed, regular, personal prayer life. But another key way that discipleship happens is through fellowship, through us essentially discipling one another. You see, our growth, it just doesn't come from kind of a, a monkish existence. We lock ourselves in a room, we just study the Bible, and we pray, and we meditate, and it just doesn't come from individual, individual piety. Our growth, it also doesn't come from us just receiving help from those who are in leadership over us. As we come and we sit passively and people in leadership pour into us and, and the pastors, they, they teach and they equip us and it just doesn't happen from some sort of kind of top-down flow of key leaders bringing things to bear into our life. Growth also happens horizontally as relationships around us challenge us and inspire us and encourage us and rebuke us and admonish us to grow more into Christ's likeness. And this is exactly what this last grouping of one another commands is exhorting us to do. So let me dig into a few more closely. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The text says we ought to be teaching one another. And this text is it's not just addressed to pastors and teachers. It's directed to the church at large. It's directed to everybody in the church. Which means we all ought to be teaching one another. We all ought to be helping one another to think rightly about who God is and what his standards and expectations for our life are. There ought to be this sense here where we are guiding and advising and encouraging and instructing one another to providing counsel to a brother or to sister regarding the right path in life they ought to take. It's teaching one another. It also involves admonishing one another, which basically means that we rebuke and we warn each other. We say things like, hey, 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 don't do that. That's going to mess things up. Or, hey, man, don't you see that that path you're on, that's ruining your marriage. Or, you know, I didn't really appreciate how you spoke to me that other day, that, in, that, in that tone that just didn't seem to reflect the, the fruit of the Spirit to me. That's admonishing. That and teaching. This is really kind of what we saw displayed in that video there. As Tony was guiding and advising Ray came alongside him as his brother and he spoke into his life and he instructed him and advised and admonished him what he needed to do. And the church disciples one another as we, as we do this, as we instruct one another on right doctrine and right living and also as we confront one another in areas of sin and guide one another towards righteousness. Another passage, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Here's a picture of the church where, where the people in it, they're rooting for one another. They're doing everything they can to help one another be built up towards maturity in Christ, focusing on helping those around them to grow and say, man, how can I help my, how can I help my brother and sister achieve their God-given potential? And then they're speaking hope and encouragement and truth and wisdom into each other's lives, helping them to pursue that path. The church disciples one another as we cheer each other on and speak faith, hope guidance into each other's lives. Our Hebrews 10, 20, 24 says, let us consider how to stir one another, stir up one another to love and good works. And this is one of my favorite texts about fellowship because the language here is just so intentional. We're to stir one another up towards love and good words, which means, works, which means we're, we're supposed to help each other be more loving. 
We're supposed to help each other do good things. And the language here, there's a bit of intrusiveness into this text. It literally means to poke or to prod, kind of like a cattle prod. It really means get in that person's personal space and push them towards maturity in Christ. So we say the hard things that need to be said. We're pointing out the uncomfortable things that we see in each other. We're urging each other to make a a change, exhorting each other, poking, prodding, jabbing each other to be more like Christ. It's just like what what an athletic coach says to his team during halftime after a rough quarter, and he gets them in and says, come on, guys, you're better than that. Let's do this. Let's get this done. We can do it. And the church disciples one another as we poke and we prod and we urge and we exhort each other to pursue Christ. And have lives who are all about him. And James 5.16, another text, says this, confess your sins to one another. We all love this one, right? He loves to enjoy exposing their sins and shortcomings. Anybody here really enjoy that? A few people do because it's hard. It's uncomfortable. But God's word says that this is something we ought to be doing. We ought to have a regular pattern here whereby we are free to tell those around us, you know what, I'm failing in this area. I really messed up the other day. Man, I got this struggle that I just can't seem to overcome. It's just constantly beating me down. And the church disciples one another. Then we lay our failures out before others and we say, please help me. Help me in this area of my life. So we see here that fellowship, it ought to involve things like confessing sin. Poking, prodding one another towards Christ's likeness, advising, admonishing, rebuking each other, giving hope and encouragement to each other, building each other up, speaking the truth to one another, helping one another to think rightly about things in our path in life. And these things, they're all expressions of Christian fellowship. And so we see the true Christian fellowship. It's not just about gathering together and playing some fun games, sharing meals, talking about your kids' recent sporting accomplishments, your promotion at work, or complaining about the government, or even studying the Bible. It's about pouring into each other's lives. Sometimes saying the hard thing, confronting sin, exhorting each other to change, to become more like Christ, inspiring and advising one another how we can get there. All of this is true fellowship, and it should produce then life-changing discipleship and growth. And so let me ask, how are we doing at this, Bethel? Seriously, as a church congregation, how are we doing at this? you're in a small group or some fellowship setting, how's, your, how's that setting doing this for you? How are you doing it personally? Rubbing off on others, having them rub off on you? I have to be honest, and I say, I don't think we do this here well, nearly as well as we ought. We don't. We have a lot of room to grow in this area as a church. You see, sometimes our, our church culture here, we kind of get some conceptions about ministry that just, frankly, I want to rebuke. Because sometimes there is this conception around here that the primary engine for discipleship in the church, it's it's sourced in the leaders or the ministry professionals. See, we all know we need to grow, and so we depend on our leadership to help make that happen for us. And we look to our pastors to teach us and church programs to encourage and equip us and other leaders and staff to shepherd us and speak truth to us, and we might even supplement, you know, what we get here at Bethel with Moody Radio or other preachers that we podcast. 
And those things, they rightly and appropriately produce discipleship growth and providing these kinds of discipleship experiences. It is an essential responsibility of the church and its leadership to do that. Worship services, they are necessary and helpful. Classes and Bible studies, they're necessary and helpful. Sermons are necessary and helpful. But we commit a woeful error when we think of these things, not just as helpful, but as sufficient for our growth. When we think, I go to church once a week and I hear the sermon, so check, I'm good. Or I participate in that annual retreat, I kind of got that Bible study thing going on on occasion, I'm good. Or I, I actually use my commute to work to listen to Christian teaching. I'm good. Listen, those kinds of things, they are necessary for a congregation and an individual's growth, but they are insufficient. Church events and church programming cannot accomplish all of the discipleship that the church needs. The weekend messages are important and necessary for the health of the church, but they are not sufficient. I mean, Pastor Steve, he's great in all, but I got a secret for you. The guy is not Jesus. He can't do everything. He's limited. He can't do it all. He can't change it all. And our programming here can't do it all. And if we lean too heavily on the pastors and the church leaders and the teachers to do all the discipleship around here, our growth as a church and as individuals will be severely stymied. And we will eventually die. Church leaders cannot do it all. Think of it this way. What does a tree need? A tree need to remain healthy and full of life. A tree needs two things, really. First, it needs the sun to shine down on it, to give it light so that the leaves absorb that light and photosynthesis occurs. And and that light, it gives life to the tree. It's necessary for the tree to grow and to thrive. But it also needs something else. It needs a strong root system to penetrate deep down into that soil and draw in moisture and nutrients. The tree needs to receive nourishment from the ground, and it also needs that strong root system to keep it secure and firmly planted so that when the storms come and when the winds, strong winds threaten the stability and the health of that tree, it's got roots to hold it firmly in place. And what happens if you have a tree that doesn't have much root? It gets lots of sun. Lots of light shines down on it, but the root system is diseased or barely present. The tree will die. It just doesn't need the sun. It needs water and nutrients and stability that only roots can provide. Or what happens if you have a tree that's got this great root system, but then you cover it in an enclosure, and it never gets any light. You block it all. You block out the sun. It could survive for a little bit, but it would eventually weaken, and, and in time it would certainly die. The tree just doesn't need water and nutrients. It needs the sun to help it to grow and sustain life as well. And friends, the church is the same way. And Christians, you're the same way. The formal ministries and gatherings of our church, it's like shining resources and light down upon you to help you grow. It's kind of a top-down discipleship effort where the leadership and the pastors pour into you and teach you and encourage you and admonish you and equip you. And, And church ministries, they're like that light, sunlight shining on the tree. It is essential, but it is not sufficient because you need another source of nourishment. You need others pouring into you through relationships. You need to be networked, connected with people who can support you, with whom you can experience the full expression of fellowship that produces life-changing discipleship within people. 
Just like the tree needs the sun and the ground, you need the leadership of the church to feed you from the top through our services and sermons and programming and events, but you also need the support and the advice and the counsel and the fellowship of peers to mentor and disciple you from the, from the ground up. So as you gather in fellowship settings like small groups and you have a mutual pouring into one another, as, or as older, more mature Christians take younger, less seasoned, or perhaps struggling Christians under their wing and, and apprentice them, really, and mentor them in deep relationship towards maturity. The church needs this sort of ground-up movement. The congregation needs to be ministering to one another, nourishing one another, having a healthy root system all connected to each other. As the people in the pew, they grab, a, they grab the people around them and say, hey, let me help you in your Christian journey. Let me teach and admonish and encourage and instruct and inspire and poke and prod and support you to move towards Christ's likeness. And if you don't have this, if you're not giving this, if you're not receiving this, you may very well wither away spiritually. Because you need so much more than just the, the, the leadership and the resources from the top. You need people alongside you, building into you, just as you build into others. You see, who's responsible for the building up of the church? Who's responsible for the discipleship of the congregation? Is it the pastors? The elders? Deacons? Small group leaders? Who's responsible for the discipleship and the growth of the church? The answer is all of you. Every one of you, every seat right now that has a body in it, you bear responsibility for the building up of the church. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and following, Paul writes, and he, meaning Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The text speaks of how God has gifted the church with people for key leadership functions. And it begins by listing five titles or leadership roles in the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And what is the role that these people ought to play? Are they supposed to disciple everybody? He gave them these people to, to disciple everybody? No. It is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, who do you think are the saints mentioned here? Just particularly holy people in the church? No, it's, it's everybody. The Bible identifies every person who is a regenerate believer who truly trusts in Christ. They are now a saint, a child of God. All believers are the saints. And what are the saints supposed to do? It says, the work of the ministry which is unpacked to mean building up the body of Christ, helping people attain unity of faith and knowledge of Christ, basically making disciples. So who's supposed to do the ministry around here? Who are the real ministers of the church? The answer is all of us. We all are. 
We don't depend on the church staff to do everything. We don't lean on the ministry professionals to create the growth and the maturity. We all, we all strive to do this ourselves. We all have a responsibility to be ministers who are building up the body of Christ. And notice the role the ministry professionals play here. We're supposed to equip you for this work. We're supposed to train and empower you to go out and to mentor and to, to disciple one another. We're supposed to resource you so that you can go about doing the work of the ministry that God has called each and every one of us to do. And this means that the kids' ministry does not exist to disciple your kids for you. It's here to help you do your job as a parent. It's here to help you bring up your kid so that they have faith and that they love Christ. It means that our student ministry does not exist to bear all the responsibility for your teen's discipleship. Rather, it's here to assist you as a parent, to help you mentor and disciple your children and build them up in the faith. It means that our worship services aren't here to do all your evangelism for you. As you bring your unbelieving neighbor or coworker here and you let the ministry professional articulate the gospel to them through the sermon. No, you still bring your unbeliever and your coworker here, but then you use the content of the service to begin a spiritual conversation with that person saying, what do you think about what you heard today? It means that our small group ministry, it just doesn't exist for you to go to find a place of friendship, although that is a reason. It's primarily here so that you would rub shoulders with people and help them grow in their faith as they do the same with you. We're all striving to do the work of the ministry around here. We're all pouring into other people. We're all helping other people become mature in their faith journey. This is going to look different for everybody. We all have different gifts, and so we kind of find our own unique way to do this. And we all also have seasons in life when this becomes difficult to do. Sometimes we face, face an acute season of just a real crisis or need or hurt. And it just becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to pour into other people. In fact, at those moments, what we need is we need people pouring into us. But in general, those seasons, they should be rather short. And most of the time, we're not in a season of acute need or incredible crisis or deep pain. And in those moments, each and every one of us should be pouring into people, rubbing off on them in a spiritually positive way. And each of you here ought to be able to name some people who are progressing, progressing in their faith because of their relationship with you. And I don't mean your kids. That's a given. Aside from your immediate family, who are you impacting? Who are you helping to grow? Who are you discipling? Who is this for you? So we all need to have stories about this. Because we're all called to be ministers of the gospel. It is the entire collection of saints who do the work of the ministry, not just a select few. And we do this primarily through relationships. And that is what fellowship really is. And this should not be a burden. It is amazing grace and privilege to do this. God, through His Spirit, if you're in Christ, He has regenerated you and is beginning this process of changing you into the likeness of His Son. What a tremendous journey that is and what a privilege it is that each of us get to be used of Him to do that remarkable, transformative work in others. It is an incredible privilege and a joy. And it shouldn't be something we relegate to a lower priority. And so what's your story? getting these kind of stories. It's not hard. Remember Tony and Megan's story from that video? The things that they talked about, it just happened naturally. 
as they did life with people, and as they were careful to make sure that their relationships with one another, they weren't just superficial, but they became spiritually intentional. And so what are your stories? And what is your plan? Most importantly, what is your plan to cultivate more of them? Perhaps you need to connect in a deeper way with some of our fellowship ministries here, like a small group or a Bible study or mom-to-mom or men's group, Celebrate Recovery, all of our women's ministries that are on display this weekend. Or perhaps you need to be more committed to that fellowship group that you're already part of. And you go there more faithfully, expecting people to rub off on you and also with eyes to try to rub off and encourage them. Or perhaps you need to find somebody who's new to the faith, struggling in their Christian journey, or simply maybe they're just a generation or two younger than you. And what can you do to encourage and build them up? Take some time to invest in them, mentor them, help them grow and mature and work through things, and help them navigate areas in life that you've gone through that they haven't quite figured out yet. Perhaps you need to stop stop doing some of that silly, busy, time-wasting things that you do to make time for people to make time for building each other up and for you to be built up by others. Make time to do the work of this ministry, this grand vision of discipleship we are all called to do. And don't dismiss this pursuit as optional or that somehow you get a special pass from building other people up because, oh, I'm not gifted for that. I don't have time for that. I'm I'm not called to do that. Listen, who's supposed to be the ministers of the church? all of us. And who's supposed to be doing all these one another commands we looked at? Every one of us. The Lord's not giving you a special pass not to do what he's calling everybody else to do. Your situation's really not that, is your situation really that unique, or is it more likely that we are simply just prone to make excuses, and we get lazy in following God's intention for our lives? So how will you take a step this year to become better at this? Generate these stories of real life change and impact that you're having on others and that others are having on you. Connect deeper in our fellowship ministries here. Be more committed to the people there. Find someone to mentor, to pour into, or or submit yourself to be mentored and poured into by someone else. Our leadership is here to feed and to guide and to direct you as best we can from kind of this top-down direction, but you also need help from this horizontal direction as well. And if by chance you are feeling somewhat spiritually stagnant, You're feeling like, you know, my faith, it doesn't seem to be as vibrant as it used to be or as I want it to be. If that's true for you, it's possible that maybe the reason why you don't have that kind of faith is because you don't have a vibrant, life-giving root system of relationships. Relationships that are encouraging you, building you, stabilizing you, supporting you, strengthening you, strengthening your faith. So take a step to expand your roots and deepen this fellowship experience. Get involved. Stay committed to people relationally. Get more intentional with the people that you know around here. Do that and you will grow. And that full expression of one another fellowship, it will cause life-changing discipleship results. And it make you more into that Christ-like disciple that God wants you to be. God has given us this tremendous resource of one another. Let's use it for his glory and for our joy as we take this journey of growth together. With that, would you stand with me for prayer?